Good morning, everybody. Today on the United Promotion Podcast Experience, we have Miss Tamika Drake here. Um, she is a podcaster, speaker, author, and blogger. Please, everybody, give her a warm welcome, Miss Tamika Drake. Hello, everyone. So, uh, you seem to be someone who conveys themselves quite clearly if you're running podcasts and speaking, running books and running a blog, it's very busy. Um, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is very busy, but I, I know that I have a message to share. So that's the reason for the busyness. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that message? Uh, yes. Um, one of the messages that I want to always convey is especially for domestic violence or anybody who's in any kind of toxic situation that might be even in a job situation and it's toxic for you, that you don't have to stay in that and it takes courage to leave those things. And there's been a lot of people that I've run into that have not been able to come out of a domestic violence situation because they didn't understand what it was because it gets a little confusing when you love someone and you're being hurt by them you get confused, like, is this how it's supposed to be? And you get all these conflicted emotions. So with me having my own personal experience with it, I can say I understand and I can see how it would be very cloudy and that a person wouldn't be able to, to leave because of all these different circumstances that they find themselves in. For uh, people who might not understand that they're in an abusive relationship is there any like red flags or warning signs or if they experience certain things should they start asking questions well there are a lot of signs and some of them are not so obvious like we like to look at um, lifetime movies that make it all about the man or the woman just going in and beating on that person and then they end up in that kind of a relationship with domestic violence and abuse it's such it's very subtle so the littlest things that I didn't even know were signs because sometimes when you don't have the knowledge, you just don't know what to look for. Um, but since I've gone through, there are tons of signs. And one red flag could be um, someone who incessantly calls you all the time. And that is a very subtle sign that can be misinterpreted as that person really loves you, that they're concerned about you. So they're calling you about 15 to 20 times within an hour that that's not good. That is a red flag, but it doesn't look like that. It just looks like, oh, this person just wants to talk to me a lot. That is a red flag. And if they get upset, you didn't pick up your phone and I was calling you, blah, blah, blah. But then the cover is this, oh, I was just concerned about you. Um, just be noticeable about little things like that. And of course, if there's something that you do, there's something that you do and they get extremely upset you know, if you go somewhere with some friends, even family, you go somewhere with friends and family and that person is extremely angry because you didn't let them know where you were going. You didn't have your phone on because you were hanging out with family and friends and they start to interrogate you. Where were you? How long have you been gone? And I've been looking for you. Blah, blah. Those are subtle signs that can always be misconstrued as the person is loving but that is just a control mechanism. They want to control you. They want to know why you haven't been underneath their. So being aware of these very subtle yet extremely dangerous, divisive.
that those are signs. Now, if somebody starts seeing these signs, um, I'm going to assume, and slightly past off past experience too, the first thing we want to do is talk to the person about it and mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, I heard this, this, and this. Did you know you do this? Um, do you recommend people try to address the issue themselves or what do you think the best course of action is? Um, well, for me, there's, it's kind of a twofold. Now, if, if, if you're only dating the person, this is probably the best time um, for, you, for you to ask those questions so you don't get locked in. So if that person is doing that, definitely have a conversation with them when they are not angry. Calm, that person is not um, having any kind of belligerent activity or anything coming out of their mouth, not being verbally abusive, anything like that, in a calm manner, you know, of course, sit down and address it. And if they have a denial thing, you know, that's something for the other person that has brought that up to the, to that individual to keep mindful in the back of their mind when they're dating, because this, when you're dating, you can leave that person. So just being mindful of that, that you brought it up, you've addressed it. And if that continues to keep going on, then you kind of know you need to make a beeline to kind of leave them alone and go about your own business and find somebody else. But if you're married and these signs are going on and you didn't recognize them before and you're dating, it's a lot harder to address that. And it's a lot harder to get out of a marriage. So with that, you can address it. You can go to a counselor, but at the end, if the other individual is not willing to take the concerns that you are bringing up, even if you go to counseling and they're not willing to make the change, you will have to understand that that means the person does not want to change and you can't make them. So that is the point where you're going to have to seriously reevaluate the situation and the relationship. And if you want to be in that, because once they, you've addressed it and maybe you've addressed it several times and they are not making any, no way to change, you're going to have to make sure that you do what is necessary to remove yourself from that situation. Now, is there uh, either on Facebook or um, any other type of support groups that people can reach out to to kind of start the process of them kind of walking away if they need to or to kind of help support them? Because I'm sure in the moment everyone feels tough and, oh, I'm going to end this relationship. But then when they mm -hmm. go to actually do it, they kind of get bullied into staying almost, I would, I would assume. Yeah, that, that's a part of it too, because, um, oh my gosh, there's so much to it, but there are a, a lot of support groups on uh, Facebook. Um, so you just have to go out and put domestic violence in, of course, in the search bar and they'll, they'll a, ton of, a ton of them will pop up. And for me, I have some people that come in, they will message me personally about what's going on with them. And I'm a very big advocate of being supportive. And of course, we want to, you know, if you see a friend and you see that they're in this situation and you're trying to do the best to tell them, hey, get out of it, get out of it, get out of it, and they're not, um, it also takes a little kindness and understanding and patience on your end if you have someone in that, because until you actually go through their particular situation, especially if they're married and they have children, they have to really weigh the pros and the cons of their decision, because that decision that they make will be a very rough one. Um, especially for me, I knew I had to weigh the options. I had many people coming to my ears. You need to leave. You need to leave. But see, the thing about domestic violence is because you have been it for so long 
and the person has been berating you and, you know, taking you down and just knocking your self-esteem down, you have to weigh the options like, well, if I leave this person, where will I live? If I leave this person, how will I take care of myself? Because I don't make as much money as the breadwinner. How will I take care of, if you have children, if you have pets, what, what will happen? Because eventually we don't understand that domestic violence also makes a lot of people homeless. Nobody wants to live in a shelter, even though that's where some people may have to go. Nobody wants to do that. That's a rough thing. I've gone through the shelter. It's not fun. But in order to have your safety and your sanctity and protection of yourself and your children, sometimes that's what you have to do. It's not for permanency, but it is uncomfortable and it's not fun. So yes, weighing the options, it's hard. It's very, very hard because if you don't have the financial economic standing on your own, it's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be really rough and you have to adjust from being used to even living in a big old house to downsizing all the way to a very small apartment. There's a lot of things people lose and sacrifice when they make those decisions, but your safety should be paramount even regardless of that because all that stuff can come back eventually, but being safe first and taking the precautionary measures to have a safety plan and all that in place is very imperative. Now, do you mind uh, how long were you in your situation for? Well, for me, my my situation, the violence part of it, all of that was for seven years. I'm wow. currently still married to the individual. So I'm let you know that this is still, this whole thing, the book that I wrote was right when I had come out of it and I decided to make that choice. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna, I gotta make this choice that you help me make it. Cause I didn't know what to do. Literally, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any idea how I was going to get out of it. I was crying so many days and nights. And I was just like, Lord, you got to get me out of this thing. So it would go on for years. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And I kept Googling, like, am I in a domestic violence situation? Am I not? But he loves me. He's my husband. He's the father of the kids. You know, it was so conflicting in my head. I was so confused until the Lord had to make it very clear. This is not what, you know, when we talk about uh, Christians in the, in the word, and some people get the Bible very misconstrued, and they think that God would condone this for you to stay married to someone like that. And the Bible does not condone that. So when all those people say, oh, well, God says you should stay, that is definitely not what he says. And I will be biggest advocate that you don't stay in something like that, because it's just going to get worse. And it, and it does, and it ramps up. And I remember the last situation that I was in with the estranged was he had told me I will go to jail for assault I don't even care and he started choking me out and I said if I hadn't fought for myself to get away I don't know if I would be sitting here right now or in a body bag and leave my kids with no mother you know we we, we forget that I know love is there and everything but your safety and what your kids are seeing they need to not be involved in that we don't think that it's going to harm them but it does and they can remember things. My children now can remember things that I didn't think they saw, that I didn't think they heard, that I didn't think they knew about. And they're coming back and regurgitating things that they had seen. Mom, I remember when dad did X to you. I remember when I saw you and you had a knife. I remember when dad and this, and it's just like, oh my gosh, you guys were there? I thought for the last situation, they weren't even around. 
but they sat there and they were watching the whole thing. Yeah, I saw dad was choking you. That does something to your children. It does something to them. And you gotta, you gotta have to go through all the reconditioning and therapies for them because you don't want them to grow up doing that. I don't want my son growing up thinking that's the way that you love a wife that you choke her out and she'll listen to you. I don't want my daughters thinking, well, if my, my husband beats me and he chokes me, that he's showing love to me. I don't want them growing up to believe that's it. And me leaving was the most powerful thing I could do to show them it's not acceptable and it's not okay. And you don't stay in something like that because it is harmful. And how old um, are your children then? Um, I have a six-year-old, I have an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 10-year-old going to be going to be 11 um, on the 13th. <laughs> so they were all different ages going through this, so. Yes, yes. Your kid being young enough to not remember it and all that, it's not really a good excuse to, to stick it out. Right, and I think that's that's one of the things like you just brought up. I think we, we kind of some of us and most of us try to say, well, I want my, my kids to have a two-parent household. I don't want my kids to come from a broken home. Well, and I didn't want that either, but is your safety and your kids' well-being more important than having a two-person household where they're in nothing but toxicity every day and chaos every day? That's not good. So you should rather be single by yourself, safe and have peace than have some some hell that you're living through and the kids have to be drug along with that. And they have to see all of that. They're loving parents who are fighting like cats and dogs. They don't need to see that. They don't need to be around that. Now, what type of conversations, um, cause I'm sure this is probably a question that people who've maybe thought about leaving have asked, what type of conversations did you have with your children about um, leaving in why it was important if maybe they didn't understand the situation yes well for um for my children because they didn't understand and they still you know now they still kind of revert back to you know the good old days that they can re remember uh mm -hmm. but some of the conversations i had with them were like mom is doing this and i told them specifically a long time ago i said mommy will always protect you from anyone that includes your father I will do whatever I have to do to keep you safe. And they understood that. And I remember I had talked to one of my uh, coworkers who I was working with at the state. And she's like, give your kids um, word, something that lets you know if something's up. Just, she's like, I don't know your husband. I don't know anything like that, but just give them a code word so that if they say it, you know, there's a problem. My daughter used it because we like marbles. I'm a marbles girl. So I told them, you know, when any time they use Thor or they use Spider-Man or anything like that, we always switch the word. And all you got to do is say Thor. And mom knows it's time to go upstairs. Tell me what went down. And then I'll take it from there. But at least they had something in place. So anytime I do stuff with them, I let them know that it wasn't their fault why mom and dad are not together. And I said, some of the things that you saw, that's one of the reasons mommy left to keep you guys safe and mommy to be safe so that they can understand. Now they may not like that. They may still, you know, sometimes they just bring up some stuff, which I have to walk them through these memories because these memories that they have of us, we were a family unit. So I don't, I don't discredit them. I validate their, their feelings when they say, mom, remember when dad and I, we went 
to this this great truck stop. Remember when we went to Las Vegas and Circuit Circuit? So fun, mom. Remember when dad? I'm not going to take that from them. I'm not going to trash their memories. Oh, your dad was a blah blah blah. And he used to do this. I'm not going to do that. I would say, yeah, that was that was a really wonderful time, and I'm glad you remember it. Keep that memory, you know, because I remember my daughter told me, mom, I just want to remember the good times. I don't remember the bad because the good times we had were very far and few in between. The more negative we had. So the little times that are good, they remember. And anytime they bring them up, because the thing about domestic violence is when the children are young, they don't feel safe at that time to express everything that's going on. And I used to work. So when I would go off to work, I didn't know what was going on at the house. But now recently, and it's been since 2016 we left, my son has recently come to me and started opening up about things for years ago that he didn't tell me. And he went to Smart and Final with me. We were just shopping. I'm just getting my chicken and stuff, not paying attention to anything. And he looks at the bottle, this big bottle of Nutella. And I was like, what's wrong with you? He's like, mom, I remember. I was like, you remember what? And I'm looking at the jar like, oh, that's kind of expensive. It's like $9.98. I don't want that. I'm thinking about budget. I was like, we're not going to get that. He's like, no, mom, I remember that my sister, she was touching the Nutella and dad hit me really bad. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, she was touching the Nutella and he just came after me. I was like, oh my gosh, that, that bottle of Nutella triggered a memory. I said, why did you tell me this then? I said, where was I? He's like, mom, you were at work. Mm -hmm. So there are still little things in their minds that they have seen, that they have gone through that I won't know about until they see something or they smell something or something triggers a memory. So I had to walk him through that. And I was like, are you okay? I said, everything's fine now because you're safe, right? Said, yes, mom. So I said, these things that, that we think when you get out of domestic violence that it's totally gone, it still, has, it still has to come out. It still has to process through. And when they're safe and they're in a safe place and they know they can speak, then they open up. Because even I couldn't even speak to a therapist for a long time because I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to find a place to live and move on but we have to deal with that stuff because then it comes out in other areas of your life. And I, when I came out of that situation, I was so mean to my family members. I was so bitter. I was so angry. I was going off on everybody that was coming in my path. I was not nice. I had to deal with that. I was hurt. I was angry. I was just going off on people, but you have to deal with that stuff. And that's what I would tell anyone. If you're going through this and you need to leave, you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to a therapist. You need to talk to a counselor. Someone who is outside of your own thoughts. Someone who's outside of your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, that can talk to you objectively. And you can tell them what's going on. And they can listen and say, hey, that's actually not a good situation. You're actually in something that's really toxic. Because people will listen to you all day. And if you're familiar, they'll be like, oh, you're just jealous. You're whatever. But when you have someone who doesn't have to be a part of your, your, your life, not your friend, they can just sit down and listen to you objectively. Like, yeah, you're in something very, very dangerous for you. Now, what does, because um, I'm sure there's some people who have started uh, the, the separation process. Mm -hmm. How does it look like uh, for the children and having a relationship with the abusive party? Is it something that you've seen or recommend 
still happen or is there like a total cutoff period where everybody just gets a little bit of time to heal or is it up to the children or how do you think about that process? Well, that's a big question, but there's a multitude <laughs> of answers. <laughs> I figured it was a big one because it's probably where a lot of people might uh, not be able to find good advice on. Right. And for me, since I'm, I'm in that particular area of separation, um, for the kids, there's a lot that goes in with them. So them not understanding, you will hear from your child. If they are old enough to speak, they will, <clears throat> excuse me, they will vet their frustration. And as I, I told you that I told them that mommy did it for safety, my daughter still was not okay with that. Even though she understood, she still wasn't happy. And she had told me one day, I said, we're getting ready to, you know, leave. And I was at a chiropractor thing. She's like, I hate you, mom. I would rather be with dad. And you know, that hurt me so bad. Angry. And it pierced me to my core. It's like, I'm not doing this to destroy the family. I'm doing this to, to you know, protect you. But she didn't understand that. She would rather be with dad because she wanted everything to stay the same. So children have a different way to process their emotions. They still, even though you tell them, they still don't understand. So they're still going to come out and say all kinds of things that will be very, very hurtful, but you just have to understand they're still children. They still have a lot to learn and go through and trying to include the abusive parent. It can be done if there's supervision, I wouldn't suggest, and I've tried to do it myself, and this is I'm talking about from experience, my own, I wouldn't suggest trying to do it by yourself. I, I try to do it because I said, I don't want to be that mom that says, oh, I stopped the dad from being a part of the kid's life. Absolutely not. I would want the father to be a part of the children's life, uh, provided that he has someone that's monitoring him, you know, because you're doing it by yourself. It's not good. I had a situation where I thought, well, let me go ahead and try and do the right thing and bring the dad so he can meet the kids. That was the worst thing I could have done. I brought him on Christmas to meet the children um, and he brought them their presents and everything. And I sat down away from him and they were sitting in a conference room with toys and everything on the table. And he's just glaring at me while I'm sitting down. Now I'm not talking to him. I have my cell phone. I'm not, not saying nothing to him. I'm just sitting there. I was like, there's your kids, you know, have a good time, their presents, whatever. So he's walking around the table. He's, you know, talking to them, but he's really not talking to them. He's talking to them and looking at me. And I'm watching him from the corner of my eye. I'm watching him, you know, keeping the kids in sight. And so he starts to get crazy. He starts to get belligerent. Like, okay, I'm hungry. I'm take my kids out to lunch. He's like, absolutely not. You're, they're not leaving here. So then he tries to get upset with me, tries to slam the door, starts, we start tug of warring on my son. I was like, stop, you're hurting him. No, he's my kid too. I was like, you're right. He is your kid too, but he's not going anywhere with you. He tried to abscond my daughter and try to grab her and run away with her to the car. So I, while I'm trying to move the other ones over to my family, because I was staying with my family at the time, he's got my daughter outside and running her to the car and I'm calling her. She's not responding. I'm getting frantic. So I run over to the car. I was like, oh my gosh, Karina, why didn't you respond? Why didn't you respond? And she didn't say anything because the dad had her. He's looking at me. And I was like, you know, I'm out of here. He says some choice, nasty, vulgar words, does a U-turn, spins away and drives off with, with this car. And I take my daughter. I take I said, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come when I was calling you? She's like, dad told me not to respond. He said, don't, don't respond. And I'm calling you, calling my name. Just don't turn around and keep walking. I said, what? 
So, you know, each individual circumstance and situation is different. If the person who is the abuser has gotten help and there's some kind of monitoring supervision, then albeit go right ahead and have the children meet with the person and the individual mediator and what. But I definitely do not advise to do it with just you and the aggressor, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend alone. Don't do that because you just don't know what that person is willing to do. And it can be very, very dangerous for you. And it can trigger the kids' emotions all over again. No, that makes sense. And I had a feeling that was the direction the advice was going to go. I just wanted to make sure we touched on it so people didn't have any misconceptions. Okay. <laughs> um, so the gift of finding God's love, guilt and shame turned into my shine. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. Now, this this book that I wrote, it's a really short book. It's only like 26 pages, but it has a story in it. And I really shut it, uh, like cut it down so I don't have like all the vulgar details, but just like a, a basic, like really quick guide to let people know how I went through it and what things that I learned coming out of it. And I use some some poems and some scriptures and I just talk about like being real about the situation, not trying to hide it and sugarcoat it with flowery words, just really putting it out there as to how you can know, you know, because I was one of those ones that was confused. I didn't know. I had never been in domestic violence, so I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know any signs. I didn't learn about that. So when I went through this whole process, it taught me a lot and it showed me a lot of signs and it taught me many, many things. So I was just like, wow. And after I learned those things, I started to find out that others who had gone through domestic violence learned the same thing. So it was just like, it kind of validated me because I was like, oh, so what I was going through, others have gone through because domestic violence people, they kind of do the same thing, have the kind of same behavior patterns. Even if they do different things, there's some things that kind of will always be the same. So I was just like, okay. So I, I wrote it and I was really nervous to do it because I had a business coach and her name was uh, Alta V. Spelter. She's still on Facebook. And she was telling me I should write a book. I was like, about what? She's like, about domestic violence. I was like, oh, I can't do that. She's like, well, why not? I was like, I'm a little nervous. She's like, just write a page. Just write a page of what's going on. So I wrote a page. She's like, well, there's the start of your book. Now it's up to you to continue to finish the book. And then I kept pushing and I finished it. I was like, oh, wow, I did it. <laughs> Now, what did it mean when it was finally published in, in people's hands? Um, you know, when it was finally published, for me, for me, it was, it was a huge accomplishment for me. Not just because, you know, now I would be an author, but because I took a very huge risk on kind of like in the Black community, putting your business out there in the street. You know, some of this is kind of mm -hmm. to be hush-hush. Don't tell everybody what's going on in your business. Nobody needs to know about that. But at the same time, I said, you know what? I took a risk on myself to actually share something that I've gone through with others to help others. Because when I wrote this, I really didn't think I was going to be like a million dollar person getting a million dollars for this book. It was really something for me to write for therapy and for me to help others that might be going through the same thing. And they just don't know. In the Christian faith, we have so many men and women they believe in the word, but they got some things twisted. And 
this was a way for me to untwist, at least for the domestic violence part with a marriage, that when a pastor sits up on the pulpit and says, stay with your husband and your wife, no matter what, while they beat you and every time you're bloody, you stay with them. No. And there are pastors in all different types of faiths that sit up there and they say those things. And we have men and women dying because they listen to these pastors. And I'm not saying all of them, there are pastors that understand domestic violence and they'll tell you, don't stay. But ones that do, they believe that God is telling you to stay in that marriage, regardless of what happens. Don't care if the man bloodies you up. Don't care if the man has shot you. Just stay because you have been under covenant to stay. And I address that. I address the wrong thoughts that I had about staying with someone because I was like, I, I took a covenant to death do his part. I can't leave this man because God hates divorce. And yes, he does, but he didn't say get married and be beat. He also said, do not be unevenly yoked. If you're with someone who doesn't even believe in the word, you're going to have a rocky, rocky marriage. And my husband who thought he was a believer, he really is not. So I was unevenly yoked. So that person, me going to church, me reading the Bible, that was a source of conflict all the time. That was some of the things that perpetuated some of the violence because, you know, he was like, oh, you're a holy roller. You think you're a Christian, this and that. So he wouldn't like that. So me listening to my music, me going and reading the word, what are you doing? I had to hide in a closet sometimes with a light on at night while he slept, reading the word, had to hide to read the Bible. Can you believe that? Well, it's free to read in America. We have that religious freedom and liberty. I was hiding in my own home just to read the word. I would get up early in the morning at like three o'clock in the morning, close the door because there was a light in the closet. It was a walk-in closet, close the door and read it. Scared one night, he opened the door. What are you doing? Uh, reading the word. Oh, okay, you reading that Bible? Yes. And he closed the closet door back. I was, I had to put my hand on my heart. I was, like, I was so scared. My heart was just thumping out of my chest. Like, I'm just reading the word. I'm just reading the Bible. And that for me was another source of problems. The spiritual abuse was it. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even read the word. You know, I can't go to church. Everything was just a problem. So I had to address that in, in the book that I wrote about, I had to address all of those things. You know? Yeah, no, that is crazy. <laughs> I know, it's very funny. Like, what? Have you always been so well-spoken and such a clear thinker you know what uh i have been only because i had a mother she's from jamaica and she would have me read to her <laughs> when i was younger she would have me read to her all the time all of her kids she would she would call us into her room and say hey go get a book and sometimes it would be the word and sometimes it would just be a book come read to me and i'd have to stand in front of her and she would make me read out loud and I would read out loud every time. I would get so mad. She's like, you haven't read today. Go get a book. Come read. And so I was like, okay, I'm getting annoyed. I don't, I hate reading. I hate reading in front of you. Like, I would hate it. I would hate it. But that is what helped me to develop this because I was also a speaker um, for um, a tour called Who's Positive. And that was a tour. You go out and you talk to people that have HIV and that are HIV positive or need to be aware of it. So there was a, about six of us and we'd go out on this tour and go across the states and go and, and speak at colleges and sometimes high schools or different events and talk to people about, you know, knowing your status, getting tested and all that good stuff. 
So when I got into public speaking, it came as nothing. It was so easy for me. And I was like, I used to love it when I was in school. When they said, you got a book report, I'll be, I'll go. You know, I'll you got to ask me. And everybody else looking like, yeah. And now the teacher's asking, who's next? Everybody's looking at each other. I was like, well, I took off some of the, you know, the pain for you guys because I already went and knocked out my book report. I know I got an A. So. <laughs> no, that's really good. Um, what other things did you, uh, you pick up from your mother that maybe when you were younger, you didn't quite yeah and then when you're older like ah I see what she did there yeah I think um something else that she did was um entrepreneurship which I I had always wondered why I wanted to do that because I used to working for people when I got a job at 16 it annoyed me because my mom was like you need to get a job so my first job was at Burger King in Illinois it's got our first base I was like okay fine I'll go do that but when I was younger um, before I had that job, she had some jobs that she opened, some businesses that she started, and I was a part of it. I was a part of helping her. She had a Hannah school supply that she did, where she would go around to the different parents, go get their orders of their school supplies. She just came up with this innovative idea before all the schools and start doing it, before they had Instacart and Postmates and all these delivery guys. So she was doing that, and she would get like little paper bags and put people's names on it and say, these are the supplies you ordered. And she would go to Target or wherever, find the best deal, get all the things they want and go take them and go deliver them. And so she had that business and then the school took it over. So then she no longer could do that because the school says, we could do that for, for us. If we have this lady do it, we'll just do it for you. You give us the money, we'll shop for the supplies for you. So she was out of that. So then she opened a babysitting business, which I would be the one to, you know, hand the kids off and get the, the money from the parents for the week that the kids have been there. And so she was doing a lot of entrepreneurial stuff. And at the time I didn't realize what that was. I just thought my mom's just doing stuff to, you know, help make money because my dad was in the military. So I just figured since she can work cause she had all of us, there's four of us that she had to stay home. So I was just like, Oh, well, this is just a way for her to make money. Little did I know that was part of the entrepreneurial bug that I've been bitten with that. I always want to go start a business and I kind of did the same thing. Um, so it's true. Then they say you will follow what your parents do, not really what they say. So I did that for myself. And when I was in Colorado Springs, we were, my husband and I at the time, uh, we didn't have any money. He was not able to work. And I said, we need some money. I need something. So I decided to come up. I love to cook. So I decided to put up a post on Craigslist. And I said, I'm going to go and try and cater something. I'm going to try and cater a wedding. And so I put up that I'll cater a wedding, a very small wedding, 35 people, no more than 35. <laughs> and so this lady had called me frantic and she had found my post. She said, oh my gosh, I'm going to get married, but nobody's trying to help me. And I called Boston Markets to charge $400 and that's not for delivery or blah, 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 blah. And she was just going on and she's a freaked out bride. And I was like, okay. I said, I can cook for you. She's like, really? Really? I was like, yeah. She's like, how much are you charge me? I said, 200. She's like, oh, will that, will that take care of the catering? Will you bring it? Will you this? Will you that? I said, yes, I'll get the food. I'll bring it. I will, you know, serve it. Oh my gosh, it's so great. She's like, but I don't get paid here or there. I was like, we'll work it out later. So we, I did do that. She had a little snafu in the catering for that is she did it in a mall. And in the mall that they have the uh, fire regulatory um, procedure that you cannot have open fire. So I was like, okay, so how am I going to keep your food hot? Because I can't use 
the regular catering stuff without that burner. So I had to come up with a, an idea. So I said, okay, I'll get two coffee pots. I'll let them run and I'll let them heat up with hot water, put the hot water underneath where I would have it underneath the food to kind of keep it warm. It wasn't going to be hot, you know, but it would be at least warm. So while they were gone, you know, we getting stuff together for the reception. We had to keep running the water, keep it running and keep dumping out the water when it got cold, putting the hot. So I was like, this is so, so strange, but we did it. So when they finally came and, you know, started eating everything, they were so happy. And the dad of the bride came to me and said, who's a, who's a cook? I said, I am, sir. He's like, this is absolutely magnificent. He's like, this is great. He's like, but I'm not talking to you no more. I got to go eat the rest of my food. And the mom was so happy. The whole, the whole party was happy. And I was like, wow, I did this thing. And then after that, because I only had one, one wedding, wedding that I catered. And I said, okay, I need to make some more money because that's only one gig. Let me do something else. So I started a little miniature cleaning business. I was cleaning uh, my first uh, medical marijuana dispensary for owner. I cleaned his, his place. And then I did a whole bunch of other little houses and little places for like college students who had just had beer pong, all the beer pong balls, balls were everywhere. So I was just like, I was wondering where that had come from, you know, me just making up jobs and doing what I got to do to go get clients. And then I was like, I remembered my mother. She instilled that in me. I was like, no wonder, you know, I watched her do that. Yeah. And I would even like listen to your story and everything. I would even say it goes a little bit further into just solving problems quickly. Oh, like, yes. The entire entrepreneur thing happened because you had to solve the problem of income. And then while you were being an entrepreneur, obstacles came that you had to find creative solutions too. So mm -hmm. it sounds like you have a history of not allowing your circumstances or the current obstacle prevent you from getting to the end goal. I think that would be a very amazing and right statement. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of projects are you working on now? Do you have another book coming out? Podcast well, strong? <clears throat> well, let me see. So the book, I am not doing another book just yet. I'm working on getting a book signing uh, with Barnes and Noble. So I'm still working on that. So that's to be coming up to be determined. And then I'm also working on a podcasting event which I don't have a date set for that either, but trying to get a lot of podcasters and people to lead and a networking kind of collaboration. So I'm working very tirelessly to figure out how I'm going to bring this because it's going to be a, a huge event. And I have someone helping me with finding and securing a venue so that we can do this. And um, I think the last thing that I'm working on is making sure that I do what I have to do to finish this nonprofit, which is driving me up the wall. It's driving, it's driving me up the wall because of all the documents, because of all the deadlines, because of all the money, but I'm still pushing through it. I had a website, it went down. I was like, okay, let me just focus, focus on one aspect of it to get it through the government, get through most of it and then finish it up. So I'm working on the last part of securing the 501c3 um, to be a very certified nonprofit. It's gotten all everything else done. I have to get my board meeting and all that. And then I will be finishing that. <laughs> so what's your nonprofit going to be doing? Um, it's called Loving Arms for Families, Laugh Inc. for short. And it wants to help veterans who've been touched by violence and that also have um, kids that have special needs, specifically autism. Mm. 
Yeah. Definitely sounds like a worthy cause. Yes, it is. You know, it has three demographics in it, the, the domestic violence demographic, veterans, and of course, autism. And putting them all together, you know, when somebody told me, you shouldn't, you can't do that. I was like, what? You can't do that. I was like, why can't I? They said, because you can't, because veterans are supposed to do veterans alone. Domestic violence is domestic Autism is by itself. I'm like, look, I don't know if you know, but people put things together all the time that should not be. Um, nobody likes to dip Oreos in milk, but that goes together. You shouldn't do it. I mean, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, and that's really good too, because that was kind of what our belief was and why we started um, the United Promotion mm-hmm. was because we've seen a lot of communities built around one genre or one niche and there's yeah. so much that can be learned when you take two people from completely different disciplines but who have mm-hmm. similar beliefs and have yeah. them come together um what can be learned is just so much greater so it's it's good to see other people embodying the same types of things that we believe in and hope to see more of in the future as well yeah i know you guys are doing some amazing stuff and i'm so uh, humbled to be with you guys on here they're following kt for a long time <laughs> <laughs> yes he's a very very good young man yes he um, is. <laughs> never ceases to amaze me at all um so we're running low here on time real quick but i definitely want to touch on your podcast what type of things can people find there um, well, for the podcast of God's Get Through His Word, they can hear spiritual encouragement, motivation, inspiration, definitely talk about domestic violence in a different, different segments, something to encourage and lift people's spirits. Okay. And then I see um, on the Instagram account that you also have a blog? Yes, I'm, I've been blogging not for too long, but with hub pages, so... Okay. As I continue to do that, I will be bringing out more. But the last blog I did was uh, Ready, Set, Reset, just talking about re- retraining and rethinking about some priorities and stuff. Maybe I got to put something down. So I'm, yeah, I'm pushing on new ventures. I like that. Always expanding and always finding new challenges. You'd probably get bored if you didn't have problems to solve, huh? Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I like being in the challenges I have currently. <laughs> <laughs> But it does make for a stronger person of character, even if I don't like it. <laughs> right. Now, in, what are some of the projects that you hope to tackle in the future? You know, um, for the nonprofit specifically, because um, it's actually a huge, um, I think I'm, I'm procrastinating because it's so daunting to me. What I want this, this nonprofit to do is to help with the housing crisis for those who go through domestic violence, which is a, it's a mm. big undertaking. So what I, I, I went through being in a shelter with other women in a big house, that's not really conducive to people who have domestic violence or some kind of issues considering their kids and women, because women do get catty. Women do get into each other's personal business, and that causes for rifts, strikes, anger, all kinds of stuff. So for me, I would want to build a community that had apartments, apartments for each individual to live privately and then also move into their own houses. Now that would be huge for them to be able to practice how to live on their own. Um, Again, aside from the husband or the wife, whoever, they live in the apartment, they graduate off of that program, move into the houses. 
and after the houses they've, they've been in the houses that's owned by the nonprofit, then they'll be able to say, well, you know what? I'm ready to move out of your guys' house. I've secured my money. I've got my finances. I know how to do my loan. I am able to take care of my own house now. And they leave the house that they were using and they leave the house and go purchase their own house. And now they are self-sufficient. They're gainfully employed and they know how to manage all these things after coming off of that particular program. But that's going to be a huge, that's going to be a huge undertaking. So I really like it though. I look forward to seeing how it develops. Me too. <laughs> if you could uh, bring anybody on board, collaborate, or uh, get anyone participating in this project, who do you think it would be? Or it could be a few people, even if there's a, a few people that you have in mind. Well, I would like to bring, um, if I could, I would. these would be my hopefuls. I would like to be Trent Shelton, um, Pastor Jay from Walk in Truth Ministries, of course, uh, KT and you guys from the United Promotions and possibly um, a couple of nonprofits here um, in California, like either U.S. Vets or also BYCC with the collaborations that they do to give veterans training and certificates so they can get jobs. That would definitely help for the women and men that have gone through this and they haven't had any training for a long time. They give you training and customer service, uh, PMP project management, and then they also give you a certificate also in Word. Um, so you have a certificate showing that you know more than just doing it on your own, but there's a certification you get. So it also shows employers that if those up, there's this large gap in your resume that you still have been doing something, you know, with the time, so. Not very good. So you guys heard it here, if you have any connections to these groups and organizations, please reach out, have them reach out to Ms. Tanika Drake here and get this project rolling as quickly as we can. Oh, thank you. No, absolutely. And um, keep us updated too, because we'll continue to update the show notes with your most recent links and everything. So that way people can stay in touch with everything you have going on. And um We'll definitely have you on for around two at some point to go into some more of this and after you get the get the nonprofit up and running and people can kind of hear about how it's actively going on and what they can do to help. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Thank you so much. Um, no, absolutely. Now, any parting words and where can people find you? So that way if they're listening, they don't necessarily have to look for the links. Okay, well, parting words... I just want to share with everyone that whatever toxic environment that you found yourself in or something that you don't think is okay and it makes you feel bad, especially if you're coming through domestic violence, remember, you don't have to stay in something like that. You can be encouraged and God is not going to just condone all this stuff. So remember that your safety is paramount and keeping yourself, your children, and whomever else you're connected with safe is important and then you can find me on instagram uh the handle will be ggthw18 you can find me on facebook tanika drake twitter at tanika you can find me on snapchat tanika you can find me on youtube there's tanika and pinterest and laugh inc if you can go over to pinterest as well all right like i said everybody those would definitely be in the description so if you have any trouble finding any of them it'll be one click away uh thank you again Tanika, for coming on, sharing your story. It's definitely impactful and 
I know you're going to be doing some great things here in the future. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the United Podcast Experience. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe so that way you can stay up to date with all of our guests. Check the description for all the links pertaining to everything discussed today. And if you want to be promoted or know somebody who should be, reach out to us at the United Promotion on Instagram. Be sure to follow us there as well to stay up to date with all of our guests.